Proverbs is a father teaching his son principles of wisdom from God that help in living life. Solomon was the author of many of these Proverbs and was certainly the source of the ideas behind the Proverbs. And uh, you've got just uh, in these first few chapters a number of lessons that the father is teaching his, his son. And, uh, and we're in chapter 3, um, and chapter 3 divides itself into three sections, each one starting essentially, my son, do not. Verse 1, my son, do not forget. Verse 11, my son, do not reject. And verse 21, my son, let them not. So that's kind of the organizational structure. We had looked at the first ten verses, which are a series of admonitions with promises associated with them. In verse 1, don't forget my teaching because you'll live longer. Verse 3, uh, bind these things around your neck and you'll find good favor. Uh, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord and acknowledge Him and He'll straighten your paths. Don't be proud in verse 7 and it'll heal your body. Honor the Lord with your wealth in verse 9 and God will prosper you. That was the idea of those first ten verses, some exhortations with the blessings that come with them. Alright, do you have any questions or comments before we continue in Proverbs 3.11? Now, anytime we kind of outline something, there's various ways to outline it that are valid. So, one way of outlining this is what I suggest and what we're going to use, where 11 starts a new section. But actually, you could also look at 11 and 12 as continuing the section from 1 through 10. We'll talk about that in a minute. But would somebody go ahead and read uh, 11 to 20? My son, do not reject the more and more you're going to get on the earth. 
Because in 11 and 12, what's he saying God does to those who love? He reproves. He disciplines and chastens. Sometimes God in his love realizes that what we need is not uh, another money fix. We may need some kind of chastening and discipline that's much more unpleasant that will help us. Now it's not just monetary. There's a lot of ways in which God can discipline and chasten. We talked about that some last night in talking about one of those songs. What would you think about an earthly father who he gave his children everything they ever wanted? Anything they wanted, he gave them. Anything they didn't want, he didn't give them. How would that be to have a father like that? Initially, it would seem really good. Sounds great, doesn't it? However, however, you'd be really spoiled, and then you would have no respect for the father. You'd be spoiled. You'd have no respect for the father. You wouldn't have respect for the things you got. You wouldn't have respect for the things you got. It'd be miserable. You might not think that, but it'd be miserable. It would not be the best thing for the child. A father who simply catered to every whim of the child is not really loving the child. It's not what's best for him. Because children also need discipline. Do children ever need a spanking? You know, Proverbs is going to tell us that they do. Do they ever need rebuke? Proverbs is going to tell us they do. And a loving father will give the child what's best for them, not just what they most want. God is a loving father, so what's he going to give us? Is he going to just give us everything we ever want? So, you know, if you just serve God, you're always going to be healthy and wealthy and, you know, everything's going to go smoothly and you're always going to, you know, it's going to be wonderful. No, it's not like that. There's also discipline and chastening because God wants us to be blessed, not just to have what we want at the moment. Now, a point Chris made last night uh, that's that's so true. Look at verse 11. What's he really telling us in verse 11? What's our admonition in that? Like correction? Yes. <laughs> Enjoy it. Don't resent it. Don't, uh, you know, hate it, but, but appreciate it. Value it. I think a lot of times children appreciate good discipline. It's kind of interesting, and I've heard a lot of parents say this. When I spank my, my children, they were usually more affectionate, more loving, and wanted to be closer to me after that than before. It's kind of an interesting thing. I think even when they were small, my children wanted to be disciplined. Not necessarily on the surface, but I think they appreciated it. I think they respected it. You know, I tried to be fair about it. I tried to be consistent. I tried to be loving it. I tried really hard to do it because it was best for them. I wasn't the kind of dad normally just to spank my kids because I was in a bad mood and having a bad day. That doesn't help. But good discipline, it really is something that you, you would want as a child. You want limits. You want to know your parents care enough about you 
that they are going to try to correct you when you go astray. I remember talking to a boy in Brazil. At the time, he was probably 13 or 14. He uh, was an interesting story. He's still a Christian. He's about 18 or 19 now. But he had lived across the street from a church building. And he'd gone to the church building. I don't, they were having a wedding or something. I think he wanted something to eat. He was like eight or nine. And he kept going. And he was eventually taught and converted. There were some problems with that church, but he ended up in a, a good one. And uh, his family are mess. None of them, you know, religious or anything. And he's like 13 or 14. And when I was there for studies, he would be there every day. He'd spend the nights and all that. Never met his family. I'm like, you know, asking him, well, you know, uh, your parents know where you are. Yeah. His dad knew where he was. That was his dad. I said, can you just do anything you want to? He said, yeah. I said, I'm really sorry. And he, 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 he understood that. He agreed. But when he said, yeah, I could tell he didn't like that. You know, it's like, you know, they don't care. I can do anything. And, and even at 13 or 14, I could see in his expression that it hurt him to realize that we have a father who loves us. And, and thank God he does. Isn't it wonderful that when he sees us going astray, he is going to punish us. He's going to discipline us. He's going to bring some suffering into our lives. Don't start complaining and resenting and chafing at the Lord's discipline. Appreciate it. It is a good thing for us that he loves us like that. You know, instead of, you know, loathing the discipline of the Lord, what if we would try to understand and seek what God's purpose is in it? What is God trying to do for us? And seeking to get the benefit out of it, learn from it, and grow from it. What do you think some of the benefits we can gain from discipline and chastening from the Lord are? When the Lord brings suffering and, and difficulties into our lives, what, what are some of the values that we can pick up in that? It'll make us grow. I trust in Him. It'll make us grow. How will it make us grow? Oh, it makes us tougher and stronger. That's true, right? I mean, if everything's always easy, you become kind of windy and soft. So it'll make us tougher and stronger when we endure tough things. What other values? What else do? How else will it help us grow? Focus tends to change to more spiritual things. That's exactly right. I think one of the best things about earthly afflictions is they tend to make the earth not as enjoyable for us. And we really need that because we tend to be so focused on this life stuff. So, let's appreciate the Lord's discipline and, and benefit by it. That's really what he's saying. Don't loathe it. It's a reflection of God's love. Comments or questions on 11 and 12? Bob? Maybe that's why James said, count it all joy when you fall in the prayer strike. Yes. It helps us. Yeah. You look at that and think that's kind of obtuse or something, but there's great wisdom. There really is. There really is. And so I think, you know, most of us, at least at my age, probably at your age even, you 
as you look back, some of the hardest things in my life were some of the best things that ever happened to me. I really realized that. What I try to do, I struggle with this, but I try when I'm going through something really hard to remember that, to think about that. And it helps me because I start thinking about the fact, you know, this is really hard and I'm not really liking this. But I remember other times when God's let me go through things like this and it really was a blessing to me and I saw it later. I suspect I'll feel the same way about this as I come out the other side and I realize what the Lord was doing with me. Other thoughts and comments on those verses? Clint? Uh, I was just thinking uh, earlier when you were talking about how you know, if the father gives everything the child wants to the child, uh, really it puts the child in control and not the father. And that's a big problem because the child is is the, one of the more selfless or selfish uh, creatures. So, I mean, it's not a child's place to be in control. No, it's really not. And who better than God to be in control in our life? <laughs> he surely knows a lot better than we do. Other thoughts? Well, what he goes on to do is really show how valuable wisdom is. Now, we're going to talk about some of these verses, but as we do, you know, this is something that he's going to emphasize a lot in these first chapters of Proverbs. I want you to think about why does he say this and how can we apply it? If, if he starts just talking about wisdom is great, wisdom is this, wisdom is that. So what are we supposed to get out of that? It's very valuable. <laughs> ah, so wisdom's great. So why would he why would he do a lot of that in the beginning of Proverbs? What's that really telling us? Listen to the rest of the Exactly. <laughs> this is saying pay attention to the stuff in Proverbs. It's really helpful. So as you see this, apply it really to everything in the Bible, but especially make application to what he's saying in the book. He says, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding is a great blessing in that, because she is better than silver and gold and jewels. There's really nothing that is as valuable to us as wisdom. Wisdom will make you richer than money ever will. It just gives you more. Money can buy you a house, but it can't get you a home. Money can put food on the table, but not fellowship. Money can buy you jewelry, but not love. And so forth and so on. And he makes it personal in verse 15. Did you notice that? He's been talking more impersonally about the man. But he says, she is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. He just brings it right down to the person he's talking to, Solomon, to his son. There's nothing you want that is as valuable as wisdom. That's true with you. What do you want? What do you really, really, really want? There's nothing you want that is as good as wisdom. Wow. That must mean this is really valuable. We really better pay attention to this. He talks about what some of her benefits are. What do you get from her in 16 and 17? 
long life and riches and honor. Riches and honor and Pleasant, peaceful paths. Think about those things. Long life, riches and honor, and peace. Know of any illustrations in the Bible of somebody who had a lot of wisdom, who got riches and honor, and long life, and peace? How about Solomon? Yeah. Did Solomon have a long life? Yeah, relatively so. Did he have riches? Honor? Was his kingdom at peace? So, he's kind of an illustration of that. I understand that Solomon himself strayed away from some of his principles later in his life, and that troubled him. But overall, early on, he was a man of wisdom who had just those blessings. Now, there's always going to be some case that doesn't fit. You know, that that kind of tests us. You know, there's a stray drunkard somewhere that lives to be an old man. You know, and uh, Satan puts him up as the poster child, and you see him all over the place. But in general, wisdom is going to make you live longer, prosper more, and have a lot more peace in your life. In general, wisdom blesses you with those things. In fact... In verse 18, what does he call wisdom? Tree of life. Now, where have you heard about a tree of life? Yeah, in the garden. But what happened with our access to the tree of life? We blew it. Yeah, we blew it. And we no longer have access to the fruit that gives us life. Now, we are looking forward to the tree of life in God's paradise. But in the meantime, wisdom is a tree of life. It sort of restores back to us the life that was lost by Adam's sin. And you think about wisdom in Proverbs, and then you think about where do you find God's true ultimate wisdom? In Jesus. So he's also a tree of life for us because he's a source of wisdom. Now, what did Adam and Eve do to try to become wise? Sin. Yeah, eat that tree that was forbidden, thinking that'll make them wise. Don't do that. Don't try to seek wisdom apart from God. It doesn't work. When you try to seek wisdom apart from God, it cuts you off from the tree of life. What we want is to seek God's wisdom, and that is the tree of life. Comments and thoughts on 13 to 18, talking about the value of wisdom, Josh. Along with that point that you just made, going back to uh, 11 and 12, um, it's about how
how often we can have doubts and things come in and make us think that God is really doing all these things because he's a dictator and he really is just trying to control us. But if we see, see passages like this, they really show us the greater picture and show us what, what is really good for us. Excellent. That's exactly right. Bob? I, I think it's interesting to see here where Solomon talks about wisdom and the pursuit of it and its value and its power. He, he knows full well uh, what wisdom does for you because he had the fullest measure ever received. And the reason he had that full measure is because he asked God that he would have understanding, an understanding heart that he might lead his people well. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And God equipped him to do that. And, and he will equip us if we have a heart that seeks to understand. And from Dave, uh, Daniel, the same thing, said, from the day you set your heart to understand, I heard your prayers. Yes. And Solomon chose wisdom above other things. He really did value it more. And it was a blessing to him that he did. Good point. Yeah. So. Um, sometimes when we're talking about spiritual things, uh, people will be discussing and someone will say um, that you're using human philosophy. How? What's the difference between wisdom and philosophy? Well, I think when we're looking at wisdom here, we're speaking about God's wisdom that's expressed in his work. You know, often philosophy is human philosophy, our own ideas and reasoning and way of looking at things. And so you test whether something's true wisdom or not, is it what's in the scriptures? I mean, anytime we think independently of what God has revealed, well, you know, I've thought about this, and this is the way it looks like to me. You know, you think about, for example, on simple principles. What's human philosophy about raising children these days? You know, it probably doesn't include corporal punishment. Because man in his wisdom, in his philosophy, has decided that's really, you know, that breeds violence. Uh, that's, I don't know, that's abusive, you know, and so forth. Well, now, does man know as much about that as what God does? You know, so that's where we follow God's wisdom, not man's philosophies. Other questions or comments? Look at look at nineteen. Go ahead. So I think it's interesting that uh, Solomon had all these riches. It's tough for us to comprehend all that he had, and yet his focus is on the wisdom and the knowledge of God's word. And that he goes through his yes and talk about all this worldly stuff is. Man, and he comes to the conclusion that fear of God and keep his commandments, it's man's all. It's what we have to be focused on because we're so richly blessed. But everything, it comes back to gaining knowledge and wisdom. No doubt. Look at verse 19. I think this really shows you some of why wisdom is so valuable. What did God use wisdom to do? Create the universe. So if we live by wisdom, we put ourselves in harmony with the very principle by which the world was created. 
you abandon wisdom and you're flying in the face of the structure that God created that he runs things by. You know, it's always going to work better if you use something by the intention of the creator. You know, I mean, what happens um, if you decide to use your car as a flotation device? You know, uh, do, you, do you think your car would work well as a boat? Yeah. Well, if it was not designed to be a boat, if it was not created for that, it probably is not going to help you stay above water, and it probably will greatly damage the future function of the car. You know, we are going to do so much better if we are in harmony with the with the principle that God made things by. You follow wisdom, you're following the way things were made, the way things are being sustained. So the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding established the heavens, by his knowledge of the evil broken up and the sky strip would do. It's God's wisdom that created and that sustains the universe. That's what we need to follow in our lives. I come into questions through verse 20. Okay. Um, he goes on from there to discuss some various uh, wisdom teachings. Would somebody read 21 to 26? My son, do not manage your sight. Keep sound wisdom and expression. So they will be uh, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. The Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. Okay, so look at verse 21. Verse 21 suggests the danger we might have. What's the danger? <clears throat> Losing it. It's not a one-time thing. You get it, you got it, it's done. Because if you're not careful, wisdom will slip away from you. You know, walking in wisdom today does not guarantee that you'll walk in wisdom tomorrow. So hang on to it. Keep it. Nurture it. Um, And then look at the blessings it gives you. Verse 22, what will it give you? That's life to your soul. Life and adornment. Uh, You know, enrichment. Verse 23 and 24, what will it give you? Safety and security. When you're walking... You feel more secure. I don't know, you know, how you are. I mean, several of you don't drive yet, but some of you do. Maybe even if you don't, you can imagine this. What if you're in an unfamiliar place at at night? What's the difference between driving down a well-lit, paved highway 
and driving down a dark, winding gravel road. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, in a, a night, in an unfamiliar spot, it's dark, and this thing's really hard to follow. It's more tense. It's more insecure. You're afraid you're going to go off the road. You're afraid you're not going to figure out where to go. This well-lit highway is so much easier to drive on. You have so much more confidence, so much more security. He says in verse 24, when you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You can sleep because you know you're living by wisdom. You know things are right. Wisdom will give you confidence. And in a crisis, 25 and 26, you won't have to worry. Even when the wicked comes upon you, you can, you can be secure and you can be calm because you're living by wisdom. God will take care of you. Notice verse 26, for the Lord will be your confidence. Do you see how smoothly Solomon switches over from wisdom to God? You know, he, does, he suddenly said, for the Lord will be your confidence. He's been talking about wisdom. But who is the source of wisdom? You know, really speaking about wisdom or speaking about God is pretty much the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is wisdom. And so wisdom, the Lord, will guard us if we follow it. What great blessings. Comments and questions to this point. Patrick. Uh, Nicole and I were coming back from Atlanta a few weeks ago. And against my better judgment, I decided to just follow what the GPS said, not look at a map. <laughs> and uh, it was late. We were driving through the night, and I didn't want to bother with that. And I was thinking, well, the GPS got us to Atlanta. It'll get us back. Well, what it did... <laughs> It took us up through, like, all the way through Kentucky on 421. And if anyone's ever driven that, it's just like this the entire way. I mean, it turns like a 30-minute drive into an hour and a half. We were actually losing time on the estimated arrival. And uh, it seemed like we were going in the wrong direction for about an hour. Was she telling you to look at the map? No, she told me to look at the GPS. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, and I think about that, and I followed something that wasn't the wisdom that I, that I knew was right. I could have looked at a map and avoided that whole mess. I didn't look at the standard. I just followed something that, that just told me step by step where to go. And we did that. You know, we listened to all these other things in the world. And that puts you on the worst road. And if we just look at the map, if we look at the road map, then we'll figure it out. It makes so much difference when you know you're doing what's right. It just changes your outlook about things. You know, when I am not so sure I'm doing the right thing, or I really know I'm doing the wrong thing, man, I'm really tense. I, I feel insecure. I'm defensive. <laughs> you know, I'm scared. You know, I try to hide. You know, when I know this is what's right, this is what God said, it may, have, it may be hard, but it's the Lord's will, it's what he says to do, man, it just changes your whole perspective. You have so much more courage. So much, you have so much, you can breathe. 
You know, no matter what the attack is, what the crisis is, or how much onslaughts of the wicked there are, you know you're with God's wisdom at school. Good, good illustration. Other thoughts? Twenty-seven to thirty-five. Do not withhold good uh, from those to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, "Go and come back," and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by your uh, by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause. If he has done you no harm. Do not envy the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Though why shall not merit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Okay. Uh, think about... What wisdom leads you to do toward others? In 27, what's he saying to do? Yes, um, maybe not just what you owe in the sense of you've contracted a debt, but we have a responsibility to be generous toward those around us. You know, if somebody needs help, and we could help them, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> help them. Why wouldn't we want to? Selfish. Selfishness. Wisdom is not selfish. 28 is even clearer. Why would you say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow, I'll give it? <clears throat> Maybe they'll forget. Maybe they'll forget. <laughs> or maybe somebody else will give it to them before then. A greedy person is so reluctant to, you know, give that even a day's delay makes him happy. You know, well, tomorrow I'll give it. Well, you could do it today. Back tomorrow, come back tomorrow. I'll, I'll see if I can I'll come up with something for you tomorrow. You know, generosity is a part of God's wisdom. Do you see why? Think about God. Is he generous? Yes. Wow, and that's uh, the biggest gift. But look at all the other gifts he's given us along with that. God's extremely generous. So are you surprised that principles of wisdom would encourage generosity and unselfish giving toward those who are in need? There's some really cool things that, that are very encouraging. Uh, and we need to be like this. There's, there's so many levels of this. But I was just thinking, um, yesterday I was corresponding with a man who I don't know extremely well. Um, know him quite a bit. But, but he had written me. And he just said, are there any financial needs in Brazil that I could help with? And so I had written him back and said, give me a little time and I'll communicate with you. So I'd come up with a couple of things that were needs. 
And so I'd written him, and I said, you know, here are a couple of options. Both of them required some amount of money. And he wrote me back and said, I want to do both. <laughs> you know, he doesn't know the people involved. That's a good attitude. I mean, do you suppose anybody is so wealthy that they don't have something they'd like to do with their money? And I mean, he's got a regular job. I mean, he's an educated person, but I don't think he's you know, rich or anything like that. I've, I've seen his house. It's a normal house. Uh, you know, I mean, most of the time, we're thinking, well, you know, i got this money, and man, look what I could do with it. Wisdom says, give, be generous. Don't even delight to give. You know, bless others. Now, I suspect the principle here is not only money. There's other things we need to give people, like the gospel, <laughs> like time and attention, and love, and so forth. Wisdom would tell us to be giving kinds of people, to share whatever it is we have and not delay to do that, to care about others. <clears throat> Comments and questions on 27, 28? <coughs> Cameron? In this section where it's saying, do not wait till tomorrow, <coughs> it goes straight into the next verse saying, do not devise harm against your neighbor. It's saying, um, in one way, that don't send him back so you can set a trap for him. Don't try to hurt him. Just give him the money and let him go. Yeah. Be generous, not harmful. Yes, well, that's the other side of it. You know, you're generous and you're not trying to harm somebody. And that might seem funny, but that ever happened? Look at verse 30, 30. Do not contend with a man without cause if he's done you no harm. You think, well, who would ever, you know, contend with somebody if they've not harmed you? You know what that makes me think of? Well, probably doesn't make anyone other than maybe Debbie think of this. It makes me think of frivolous lawsuits. Now, how many people are, are suing to try to get easy money? That, you know, sue whoever, sue whatever. It's a big company, they got lots of money, sue them. Why? Well, you know, I want I want money. You know, that's that's we we do good to others. We don't take advantage of people. We don't try to hurt them. We don't try to get something out of it out of them that they don't owe us. Um, don't envy a man of violence, verse thirty one. Don't choose any of his way. Somehow we're sort of attracted to these powerful people who throw their weight around. Don't want that. You know, stay away from those kind of guys. All right, comments and questions through 31. Jennifer. A lot of the time my problem is that I feel like I need to give what extra that I have. But the point of giving a lot of times is sacrifice. And we're never, I mean, if you're going to budget what you, your income is, you're always going to think of a way you can spend it. So mm -hmm. the difficult part is saying, I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to do without this, so that somebody else can have. You're exactly right. Giving when it doesn't cost is not as valuable. Uh, remember what uh, David said in 2 Samuel 24, I won't give to the Lord that which doesn't cost me anything. Uh, you know, I'll use this illustration. This is helpful. I'll camouflage this a little bit, but, but there was a 
was a time that I was uh, talking with a, a ten-year-old. <laughs> you know, they're really, you know, sometimes children are a lot more generous than adults. And the ten-year-old uh, knew about a particular need. And, and what he told me is, he said, if, if it's okay with my mom and dad, he said, I've got $300. I want to give $100 for this need. Well, later on, you know, that wasn't really necessary, although it was a great attitude on his part. But later on, I was talking with his father. He said, well, you know, he said he's a lot like that. He said, now, for a 10-year-old, $300 in the bank, giving 100 of it may not mean a whole lot. And that's true. You know, a 10-year-old doesn't necessarily value money the same way we would. But, you know, he, uh, he said he's that way with everything. He said it can be his favorite food, his favorite candy or whatever. And he'll try to give it to somebody and share it with somebody. That's what we need. That, that spirit of wanting to share, wanting to give something that's precious to us, something that's valuable to us, something that we want. It means a lot more when we sacrifice than when we just sort of give off the surface. Bob? I think one of the things we struggle with, too, it's one of the most precious things to us is, is the minutes and the hours that are going by. And most service to God has to do with sacrificing us. Yes, amen. Sacrificing our time from video games to, uh, you know, do something to serve someone or whatever. Absolutely. Other thoughts? Yes, Nicole. Um, I was in the match yesterday, and, um, like, I mean, the people that talk about the acts are just so generous. I mean, it talks about a couple of times how, like, especially in, in like, verse, in chapter 4, um, it talks about how they didn't consider anything their own. And, and I just think that's a really, really awesome attitude. Like, the stuff that we have, it's not ours. Like, we're just borrowing it for a little while, you know? It, it's not, we've done nothing to earn it. We've just been blessed with it. And so I think that was a really good attitude to remember. Like, nothing that we have is really ours. You know, ours, we're just borrowing it. We need to give it back to God. Because he gave it to us. So uh, I just thought it was like an awesome attitude. So are we willing to sacrifice things in our lifestyle? You know, what would be a sacrifice for you to be able to serve? Yeah. You know, would you be willing to eat out less? Would you be willing to buy a cheaper car? Or drive less? Uh, buy less toys? You know, what would you be willing to give up? <clears throat> you know, I mean, you have to think about, you know, things. Uh, you know, it, because I, I, that's my, I, my fear is that it's easy for us to give if it doesn't mean anything to us. What about giving something that means something? Financially? Or in terms of our time? You know, when it comes to our time, I mean, you know, think about, like, to devote our time to even, this is going to be a different illustration, but I think it's a good illustration of the idea. Devoting your time to reading the Bible and praying. What would be the best, you know, time you could give to reading the Bible and praying? Well, maybe you'd say, well, you know, 
I don't need to do such a good job on my schoolwork. I'll take some time away from my homework and I'll study the Bible and pray more. Well, now, if you're somebody who really is grade conscious, that might be a sacrifice. But for most young people, that really wouldn't be a great sacrifice. Might not be a terrible thing, but it wouldn't be a great sacrifice. What if it was like, you know, I really like to spend a lot of time on my computer. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to be right in the middle of a really cool game. I'm going to just shut it off and go read the Bible and pray. Now, which one would be more meaningful to you? You know, cutting out some time studying for a test that you didn't really want to study for anyway so you could study and pray? Or being in the middle of a really cool game on the computer? Or whatever it is you really like to do. You know, watching a really great football game, you know, and it's really going well, and you just turn it off, or you just go upstairs or wherever you go, and you're going to read the Bible and pray, and not see that. That would mean so much more to you. Bob? It reminds us of what David said about the threshing for it was going to be given to him, and he said, I will not give to God anything that costs me nothing. Yes. The more it costs you, the better it is. Think about that in terms of your time, your money, or anything else. The more you give up to do it, it'll help you so much more. together and we were watching a movie, but at 10 o'clock there's a Devo and like singing going on in the other room. And we were watching the movie and the movie wasn't over at 10. And like one by one, one of us left and went to the singing and then another left and went to the singing. And before long we just shut off the movie and we all went to the singing. And like that really opened my eyes to like you know, how much our priorities changed and things like that. It was really nice. Best time you could do that is when you're having to really sacrifice something. That, that, that really is helpful. The principle of sacrificing. Giving to the Lord what costs you. That is worth a lot. You know, think about that in various areas of your life. And certainly when it comes to generosity as well. Bob? Same with money. <clears throat> You know, for, for so long, I used to think, well, when I go a money head, I'll be able to, I'll be able to give more, or I'll be able to help this person or that person when he comes up. And that's not when God calls on us. God calls us on us like He did the massive homes, making out of the poverty. When they didn't have extra, then they dug in and, and sacrificed. You know, I've used this illustration before, but there was one time when there was a particular need in Brazil, and I was going down there in like three days and found out there was a, uh, there were several brethren who owned furniture manufacturing companies, and the middleman that that owed them a lot of money went bankrupt, and they didn't have money to even pay the people that worked for them. And so I let some brethren know that there was a brother who who gave me three hundred dollars to take down there. And he looked me in the eye and he said, if you get down there and you find out that more money than that is needed, he said, you let me know and I'll sell a car. Now granted, he had more than one car. But that would have been a sacrifice for him. Would you sell your car? 
give up your bicycle or whatever it is. You know, wow. It wasn't needed. There were a lot of other brethren who gave also. And so it wasn't needed. But I believe fully he would have done that. And if I had seen that, I would have probably let him know. And let him do that. And, you know, give up something that means something. Wow. I mean, that's, that's strong. Now look at what he says in 32 to 35. Basically what he says is, God blesses the, the, the wise and the righteous, and he, he doesn't the wicked. He says in verse 32, the devious is an abomination to the Lord, but he's intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. He says, the wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Now, all of those who are just saying, God blesses the righteous, not the wicked. He, he, he's going, to, he's going to, to punish, to curse the wicked. So, do what's right. Live by wisdom. You know, in the long run, you'll be much better off. You want God's blessing and not God's curse. Comments and questions on uh, chapter 3. Alright, look at another wisdom lesson. Again, directed toward this time not son, but sons. There are a few times when it's in the plural here. So Solomon is talking to, to his sons. We 